Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Hebrews chapter 4, the book of Hebrews chapter 4. We continue our study through the New Testament. And remember, this is like a continuation of, uh, well, you remember our past studies, you know, in verse 1 here, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, now we have to remember our past studies to understand the therefore. You know, what's it there for? Remember, in the previous chapter, the writer is speaking of the first generation led by Moses, and they could not enter God's rest because of unbelief. Now, the question is posed well, how could they not believe when they saw the hand of God? Well, that's precisely the point. You see, with belief is obedience, and with unbelief is disobedience. Remember, Brother James says it's a package deal. It's a package deal. Faith without works is dead. I'll give you an example. You know, for example, say a person says, well, you know, I believe in Jesus. And, you know, it sounds good. Well, I believe in Jesus. Okay. But then the person says, well, I believe in Jesus but I'm going to go do my sex, my drugs, my alcohol, and pray to Mary. Now, understand, the person says they believe in Jesus, and that's fine. But now there has to be some type of examination. You know, a person says, well, I believe in Jesus, but, you know, I do my sex, drugs, alcohol, and I'm going to go pray to Mary. Now, we you, you hear that, and you think, okay, the guy believes in Jesus. But then you do a little examination. You look at the fruit. And is there alignment with such a person's deeds? You see? So the guy says, I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to go do my sex, drugs, alcohol, and marry. He says, okay, he believes in Jesus, but do his actions align with that? His belief. You see? Do his actions align? And in this example, the answer is no. Because, you know, Words say, I believe, I believe, I believe. And that's fine. You know, the words say it. But the deeds, do they say otherwise? You see? Because when there's alignment to words that say, I believe, and deeds that prove, I believe, we're talking about a different ballgame. And herein lies the problem with a lot of believers. A lot of believers. Because it's like, wait a second, I believe, but... You know, there also we have to make a distinction between you know babies and maturing in Christ and maturity in Christ. We have to make this distinction because and and also wolves and I'll explain that there is an agreement with babies and wolves, and this is very dangerous ground. You know. Because if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our studies through the Corinthian letters, 1 Corinthians namely, and the first half of 1 Corinthians precisely. But there's an agreement with babies and wolves and very, very dangerous ground because the wolf, I shouldn't say the wolf, wolves, plurality, wolves like arrested development. They like it. Wolves don't want saints to grow and mature because the wolf serves their father, the devil. You see? Now, babies don't understand because they're babies. And we have to be fully honest with ourselves. You know, it's not, you know, when, when you hear us say these things, you know, look, you know, babies in Christ, you know, babies are beautiful. 
But we have to be very, very honest with ourselves and examine works and fruit of self. And there's examination of the pastor too, because remember formula. If you've been walking with us for a while, you know all about formula, formula specifically for the pastors. Remember our studies through the pastoral epistles? You see, and when you examine, you know, the, the teachings of the pastor. Now, understand the pastor's got to be qualified, full, full package. And you make those examinations. You make the examination unto self as well. I mean, a person says, well, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I still do my sex, my drugs, my alcohol. And the church I go to, I go to Hillsong. You see, it's like, okay, listen, in that example, I love you, but you're a baby. I mean, in the example, if, if a person were to tell me, you know, I, I do my sex, my drugs, you know, and, you know, I don't mind Mary, I don't mind Buddha, and I go to church at Hillsong. It's like, okay, listen, I love you, but listen, let's be straight up. Let's be honest. That person is a baby. They might believe in Jesus Christ, but is there, you know, it's like spiritual milk. They're, they're drinking from the bottle. Remember when Paul says, and it, it, it kind of breaks my heart, but it's understandable. I mean, it, it breaks my heart. I shouldn't say it kind of breaks my heart because it straight up does break my heart, but it's completely understandable. You have the depth of knowledge that Paul has. And Paul says to Christians, to saints in Corinth, he says, I can't give you the deep spiritual matters. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. He says, because you're babies, you're still on milk. I came to you with, 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 with milk because you were babies. But as it is right now, you're still on milk. You're unable to receive these things. I mean, what parent has a newborn baby and, you know, holds a pork chop to the baby's mouth? No, that's foolishness. Because the baby doesn't have the teeth to tear, the incisors to tear away at the flesh and then the molars to chew away at the flesh. The baby doesn't have such a thing. The baby drinks milk. And babies are beautiful, but babies aren't on milk forever. You see? And we have to be very honest with ourselves. Somebody says, well, I've been going to church for 10 years. Okay, that's fine. That's nice. But are you a baby? I mean, in the case of Corinth, that was three years, three years of arrested development. But today we're living in a time where people are babies and they've been in church for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and they're still on milk. Now, we have to be honest with ourselves that, you know, this isn't like, you know, like, you know, like, you know, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you. But when you understand formula and moving on to perfection and growing and maturing in Christ, going from baby to toddler to, I don't know what the next step is, kid, uh, uh, preteen, you know, the tweens, and then adolescence, and then uh, adulthood, maturity, and then like straight up deadly. And when you understand, remember when we studied the, the epistles, the letters to churches, and we liken it to like, you know, first, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. And we made those distinctions when we went from first Corinthians, second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. You know, we made these distinctions, Philippians. We made these distinctions so that we together can understand this process. I say process, but I don't like to say process, but I say process nonetheless, because the, the process of growing and maturing in Christ very important. It's lacking, but it's still very important. You see, you and me together, 
we move on to perfection. And this is the journey of the saint. You see, babies are beautiful, but we grow together and let us be perfected together. You see? Now, if you're listening and you're a baby and you say you're listening for the first time, because if you've been walking with us for a while, you know all about formula, you know all about, you know, milk, you know all about, you know, the pork chops, you know all about, you know, growing in Christ and maturing in Christ because you've, you've, you have that base plate of those studies. Now, what's so beautiful is that we do have these archived. And so you can listen to these studies starting first. If you're listening for the first time, you start in first Corinthians and then get yourself caught up to the book of Hebrews. Get yourself caught up to the book of Hebrews. You know, you finish uh, Philemon and then boom, you're going to have a deep understanding of maturing in Christ and understanding formula. Very important. You see, now, if you're listening and you're listening for the first time, welcome, number one. Number two When you hear me pose the question, are you a baby? It's not to be mean-spirited. Oh, how dare you call me? How dare you call me a baby? I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've been going to church for 20 years. How dare you call me a baby? I'm offended. Well, that's one of the signs of the last days. Many will be offended in the last days. Just, you know, uh, read uh, Matthew 24. It's one of the signs of the last days. Many will be offended. And you look at the, the, the days that we live in and everybody's offended. You see? Well, it's one of the signs of the times, one of many signs of the times. Now, if you're listening, and I don't mean to be offensive in posing the question, but if you realize, if you come to the conclusion that, you know what, I am a baby, and you might be 50 years old, and you come to the realization that, you know what, I'm a baby. You might be 20 years old. You might be 30. You might be 15. You might be whatever age you are, male, female, young, old. It doesn't matter. But you come to the realization that, you know what, I'm a baby. I don't have the the depth and understanding of the word of God. I do not have it. Now, praise be to the Lord. Not praise be to the Lord that you don't have it, but praise be to the Lord that you realize you don't have it. Because now, okay. Now let's journey together. But there's a question that I posed. If you re- if you realize that, you know what? Yes, I'm a baby. Now the question is this. Why is that? Why is that? Why is it that you're a baby? Now if you say, well, I just became a Christian five minutes ago. Well, you know, praise be to the Lord. You're a baby and you're like a bona fide baby. Like, okay, it's understandable that you're a baby. You just became a Christian. If you, if, if, if you say, well, you know, I'm a baby because, you know, I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior this last week or last month, you know, praise be to the Lord. But if you say, you know what? I'm a baby, but I've been a Christian for 10 years, for two years, for six months. I'm a baby and I've been a Christian for 30 years, 10 years, 15 years. Now you have to jump ship. And when I say you have to jump ship, it's whoever is your pastor, you got to separate from that person because they're not teaching you. They're not training you. They're not equipping you because you say, oh, I've been going to this church for 10 years. All my friends are here. That's nice. I mean, I love you. I don't mean means be, I don't mean to be mean spirited and it isn't mean spirited. But remember, our loyalty is to Jesus Christ. You see, and it's very likely that you're going to have to jump ship. I mean, depending on the scenario, it could be that you have, you know, the formula is right in pastor, but the formula is not right in you. 
You see, the formula might be right in the pastor, in the sanctuary, but the formula is not right in you and you're playing games with the Lord. That's lukewarm. That's not good. There's a reason why you're a baby. But the, another reason could be, well, you know, the formula is not right in the pastor. You know, how he's teaching you. Maybe he's teaching you wrongly. Look at the defunct pastors that we see in Corinth. Remember? I mean, if you're listening for the first time, it's like, well, I don't know what this guy's talking about. But if you've been walking with us for a while, you know, it's like, wow, there's the defunct in Corinth and it's, you know, there's the defunct in Galatia and it came at a heavy, heavy, heavy price. You see? And so you hear us say, well, you know what? It's, if you realize that you're a baby and you ask yourself the question, why is it that I'm a baby? And you come to the conclusion that, you know what? I don't have this understanding because I've been taught wrong. Listen, you have to jump ship. Now, I don't say jump ship and you're going to drown in the water. Jump ship and welcome aboard. Because you'll understand we journey together and we'll have this understanding. Now, in Hebrews 4, it's very important. And when we look at Hebrews it's very important to have these prior understandings. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, I mean, you've studied, we, we, we've gone through uh, Matthew and Acts. I mean, for a, a, a longer while, I mean, we've gone through these epistles. I mean, you know, we're, we're kind of like, you know, and this is going to be a continuation, multiple rounds of the epistles upon, you know, we, we study the Bible verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. And there's going to be times, you know, and it's already happened where, have you ever read the Bible and it's like you read a passage and then like, you know, like five years ago or five months ago, it like hit you hard one way. And then like five months ago or five or, you know, five months later or five years later, it hits you in another way. That's because the word of God is alive and the word of God is teaching us. The word of God is spiritually discerned. And it's very important that as we grow and mature and become deadly and journey together to paradise, that we all have this understanding. It's not that the mature look down on the baby, because remember the rugby match from our studies in in, in, uh, Romans? Remember the rugby match? It's very, now you're listening for the first time, you're like, what in the world is this guy talking about? Well, all these studies are archived. And so you can listen to these studies And you listen to these studies and then you realize like, wow, you know what? We are a peculiar people of the way. We are a peculiar people that's journeying together. And yes, there's babies. Yes, there's adolescents. Yes, there's mature. And yes, there's deadly. But it's like the rugby match. One doesn't look down on the other, but we together as one, the same mind, the same body. And the mind is Christ. It's very important to have this understanding. But in Hebrews 4, with this backdrop and base plate of having this understanding, look at verse 1. Therefore, since, in verse 1, since a promise remains of entering his rest. Now remember, it's there, the promise. The promise is there. The promise of God's rest is there. Absolutely there. 100% there. More sure than the earth we stand on. God's promises of rest, it's there. But, but, is the promise effectuated in you and me? Does the promise apply to you and me? Now, let me ask you 
Another question. Well, you know, so, so is this promise of God's rest, does it apply to you and me? Now, understand now, there, picture for a moment, if you will, people who prophesy, prophesy. And they, people who cast out demons and people who do many wonders in the name of Jesus and they see Jesus and it seems good. Everything seems fine and dandy except this. He says to them, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's like, wait a second. I thought there was God's promise of rest. And then Jesus says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. But remember, belief is obedience. It's a package deal, as Brother James says. Faith without works is dead, and he likens it to obedience when he refers to Abraham and Isaac. Belief is obedience. Disobedience is unbelief. I'll give you another example in a navigation scenario or a land navigation scenario. Say, for example, you and me, there's a total of 50 miles that we need to travel. And we're going on foot, you know, we're humping it on foot, you know, we're hiking. And so you and me, there's a total of 50 miles that we need to travel. Now, along the way, we're, 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 we're training in land navigation. There's 50 miles that we have to travel. We're going on foot. And along the way, there are 10 checkpoints. And 10 checkpoints. And all we have is grid location. You know, location that says, you know, uh, uh, a, a series of numbers. That's all we have. And we're in an analog. You know, nothing digital. We don't have like GPS to say this or that. It's, everything's analog. Now, we're in one location. We're in the middle of nowhere. They, they truck us in. They drop us off. And it's, you know... Two men teams, and it's you and me, and we're in the middle of nowhere, and we're going to travel 50 miles, and we have to hit every single checkpoint, and then, of course, our final destination. We can go 50 miles in any direction, any direction, but hitting the 10 checkpoints and reaching the final destination, there's the final destination is, say, for example, it's Hilo evacuation. We're getting airlifted out. And that's the final destination. So we're going to travel 50 miles. We have 10 checkpoints to hit. And there's at the final destination is our Hilo evacuation. Now, and this, this bird, it's at a very specific location at a very specific time. Now, understand that, yes, we can go 50 miles in any direction. But in order to hit the checkpoints, in order to hit the evacuation point, this requires a very, very, very specific walk. Very specific. Now, say, for example, we do it at night. No digital devices, not even a compass. Now we're using stars and constellation. We shoot our azimuths using the stars. Now there's even closer specificity. The specifics are even tighter. Now, this is an example we give, but understand, you know, there's very specific rules. It's, it's easy. It's not hard. 
but very specific according to the word of God. Remember, when Paul says, you know, I'm afraid, he says to the Corinthians, he says, I'm afraid for you. Because the, 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 the gospel, the, 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 the simplicity in Christ, there is immense simplicity in Christ. It's so simple. It's so simple. Jesus Christ doesn't say, you know, he doesn't say walk with me and, you know, you have to, you have to be a, you know, a, a, a physicist, an astrophysicist. He doesn't say that. He says, walk with me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what he says. But within that, within that framework of the word of God and abiding in Christ, there, there are instructions. There are rules. It's like playing, like playing rugby. The rules are so simple to understand. So simple. But nobody goes to rugby, you know, with the, with the uh, baseball bat, the mitts, and, you know, the, the baseball. No, because we're, we're playing, we're playing rugby. We're not going to play baseball. You see? Nobody comes to a rugby match with, you know, a set of golf clubs. Nobody comes to a rugby match with, you know, a bag full of frisbees. No, because we're going to play rugby. You see, there are specific rules, and it's so simple. It's so easy. But people like to twist it. I say people like to twist it. And sometimes people twist it because the person is a pseudodelphos, a servant of Satan. They present themselves as ministers of righteousness. But yet we follow the word of God. The remnant follows the word of God. Now, people in obedience to the word of God. Remember, understanding the covenants. Understanding the covenants. Remember the warning labels that came with our studies in Leviticus? Leviticus, The warning labels. Now, people say, you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. Well, wait a second. How, how can it be? Why is it, you know, you say, well, you know, I, I don't want to do sex. I don't want to do drugs. I don't want to do rock and roll. I don't want to do alcohol. I don't want to worship Mary. I don't want to do Buddha. I don't want to do the occult. I don't want to do, oh, you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. Well, wait a second. How? How? I'm just being obedient to Jesus Christ. You say, wait a second. How? I'm just being obedient to Jesus Christ. Now, people say legalism, but I say obedience. I say obedience. You know, I'll give you an, just an, an interesting observation. When, when, when someone, if, if someone ever calls you a legalist, look at their life. I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but just look at their life and observe the fruit. Forget what they say. They can say whatever they want. They can say they believe in Jesus. They can say they read their Bible. But when somebody says, oh, you're such a, you know, you're having a meal and somebody says, hey, you know, have this, have a, you know, after a meal, you can drink some vodka. And you're like, no, 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 no. I'm not down with that. Oh, you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. Well, why? Well, you don't want to drink vodka because you're such a legalist. What? All you have to do is just look at their life. Just for, They can say whatever they want. They can say they believe in Jesus. They can say they read their Bible, but just observe their life. Look at the fruit. If they're married, look at their marriage. Look at the kids. Look at them. Just do a little examination. Because fruit also testifies. Is it fruit of the flesh or fruit of the spirit? Flesh testifies quite loudly. It's very important to make these distinctions, especially when we get into the book of Hebrews, because we're going to speak and teach and understand and learn about 
under you know it's so beautiful that we're in hebrews now because we have this backdrop of torah i mean if you've been walking with us for a while we have our studies through the five books of moses we've gone through leviticus and numbers and deuteronomy and the book of hebrews is so powerful because there is deeper explanation much deeper explanation And so we see here in verse 1, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, it's like, you know, okay, wait a second now, does this, does this rest, entering his rest, does it apply to us? And the writer here says that, yes, since this promise of entering his rest, since a promise remains of entering his rest, He says, let us fear. Let us fear. Now, this is severely lacking in the church today, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And it begs the question, if there is no fear of the Lord, where is wisdom? Where is wisdom? You see, that's precisely the point. Remember, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is written to Christians. Now, people make excuses. They say, well, they're Jewish Christians. They're, 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 they're Jews who believe in Christ. Well, no, don't forget, in Christ, there is no Jew nor Greek. In Christ. And so we see, let us fear, in verse 1, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. You know, it's it, hustereo in the Greek, which is to fall short, to be deficient, to be destitute, to fall, to lack, to suffer need, and be the worst. Remember when Paul says to Timothy in our study through the pastoral epistles, where inside the church, among Christians, it is possible for a person to be worse than an unbeliever. And this is you know, something that Paul says for Timothy to be on the lookout for. Be on the lookout for this. It's, it's works of the flesh, yes, but Paul says of Christians in warning Timothy, not a warning unto Timothy, but a warning for Timothy to be on the lookout for inside the body. And he says, it's possible for a person to be worse than an unbeliever in certain scenarios. And here, this writer of Hebrews in verse 1, in chapter 4, verse 1 lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Entry into his rest. You see, they come short. They become destitute and they fall. Don't forget the falling away, the great falling away in some translations. It's prophesied to happen. It's prophesied, the falling away. According to prophecy, it will come to pass. Now, how does this happen? Now, there are multiple reasons But look at the pulpit. Where are the pastors? Where are the teachers? To teach and train and equip saints. You see? Now, just look for a moment, if you will. Now, we have churches on every corner. Now, inside each church, you have multiple pastors and elders. Some churches have 10 ministry leaders. You know, you have pastor, you know, head pastor, then you have co-pastor, then you have like co-co-pastor and like, you know, pastor of this and pastor of this. And then you have a body of elders and you see that and you might think like, oh my goodness, there's churches on every corner and each church has, you know, pastor and co-pastor and youth pastor. And then, you know, there's the elders. It's like, wow, you know, the falling away is impossible. 
One might think that the falling away is impossible, but the thought is wrong because the falling away is prophesied. It will happen. It's, it's already begun. And I don't say that lightly. It hurts. It hurts to see it happen. But just like the example we gave earlier that, you know, we have 50 miles and 10 checkpoints. Navigation has specificity to it. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is explaining. And we see in verse 2, he says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Now, remember, the writer of Hebrews here, he's comparing two camps. The first camp is the first generation of Israel. The next camp is Christians, the way. This is, the, the way is how the early church was referred to, people of the way. Now you say, how in the world was the gospel preached to the first generation led by Moses? Israel in the wilderness. How in the world was the gospel preached to the first generation? Now when you listen to our studies from Leviticus, all the way from Leviticus to Deuteronomy, and you'll see the gospel was absolutely preached by Moses. Absolutely preached by Moses. You'll see. Remember when we started our study in Leviticus? I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, but when we started our study in Leviticus, Leviticus came with a warning label. We did some side studies in in some of the uh, New Testament teachings because, you know, there's a a major, uh, when you see... when you, you, there has to be an understanding of covenants. Understanding of covenants. And when we see that the warning label in our studies in Leviticus and, you know, the, the, the warning labels that they were also attached in Numbers and Deuteronomy, where you also, you, you see that the, the, the beauty of what God has done and is doing at the time, but also understand within the framework of covenants. Very important to understand the framework of covenants. Because just as we look at in Hebrews 1 that God speaks today. He speaks. He speaks through His Son. You see? In our studies in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, there were multiple warning labels in those studies. And sometimes side studies, when we look at you know Galatians, now, understanding the, the framework of the law, which is, yes, the law is holy, but the greater glory is in the fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus Christ. Yes, the gospel was absolutely preached by Moses. Remember, Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. You see? I mean, we don't have to you know rehash that out, but everything's archived. You go back, you listen to our studies. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you'll see the gospel. And so that's why the writer of Hebrews here in Hebrews 4 verse 2 says, Indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word, or the logos, which they heard, that first generation of Israel, did not profit them. Did not profit them. It's like, wait a second. Wait a second. First... First you say the gospel was preached to the first generation, then you say it did not profit them. That's precisely the point. You see? That's precisely the point. 
Because, you know, the gospel presented to Israel, Jesus, Jesus is the one who says, Moses wrote about me. So what happened? Why is it that the gospel presented to Israel did not profit them? Because it is written in verse 2, it is not being mixed with the faith in those, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. That's the required ingredient, the mixture of faith. Now, remember in our study in Leviticus, God has very specific instructions. And he's very specific and he doesn't like mixtures remember remember when, when, when there was such specificity to certain things certain items certain procedures very very tight specificity now certain mixtures very specific mixtures are marvelous i mean the recipe for making cookies is different from the recipe for making spaghetti you know, you don't, you know, there, there's no, uh, you know, you don't put chocolate chips in spaghetti. You see, the recipe for cookies is different than the recipe for spaghetti. You see, and not just recipe, but also uh, the cooking technique, you know, different. You know, you, you bake cookies and, you know, you, you do a lot of pots and pans with the spaghetti. Now, understand that this recipe, we give this example of, you know, different recipes for cookies and spaghetti, but understand the mixture, the recipe, the law given, and the gospel was preached to in by Moses. Remember, Jesus says Moses wrote about me, but that gospel, it was unprofitable because of the recipe. Because of the recipe. Now that recipe, it wasn't mixed with faith. It was not mixed with faith because faith wasn't required. In the law, faith isn't required because it's the law. Remember in our study in Romans, you know, with the law is the, is the realization of sin. You see, when Paul says, you know, I didn't know I was in sin until the law was given. Now I know that I'm in sin. And that's what the law does. And in the law is death. But don't forget, in the law, there are passageways, if you will. How in the law is learned the fear of the Lord, the trust in the Lord, and ultimately the love of the Lord and the love in the Lord. These are things that are learned in the law, but not to the vast majority. You see, not to the vast majority. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. That this gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them. It was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. You see, it wasn't mixed with faith. Now, understand that these are things that we're going to cover deeper in our studies in, in, in Hebrews. But, you know, like in Hebrews 11... 
by faith Abraham, by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob, by faith Joseph, by faith Moses, by faith Rahab. You know, in, in Hebrews 11, you see, you know, by faith Abraham, and then there's the explanation. By faith Isaac, and then there's the explanation. By faith Jacob, and then there's the explanation. By faith Joseph, and then there's the explanation. By faith Moses, by faith Rahab, and I love Rahab. I'm so in love with Rahab because look, it's like, well, you know, by faith, Abraham, okay, patriarch. By faith, Isaac, wow, patriarch. By faith, Jacob, patriarch, Joseph, patriarch, Moses, patriarch. And then all of a sudden comes the inclusion of female. I love that so much. Rahab. Rahab is included in the halls of faith in Hebrews 11. Absolutely. And not just female, but prostitute. And I'm so in love with Rahab and her beauty because female in Christ, there is no male or female. Prostitute, that's the old nature. You see? Just the fact that we see Rahab captured in this, this message of the halls of faith in Hebrews 11 and also having the backdrop of our study in Joshua where we study in deeper ways the account of Rahab. How beautiful is it to see the safety in the home of Rahab? Former prostitute. And I say former because once she aligned with the Lord, boom, there's safety. There's safety for her. And don't forget, Rahab is included in the lineage of our Lord. It's beautiful. And so we see that this gospel that was preached to that generation of Israel, yes, first generation, and remember disobedience, and remember entry into the promised land, you know, we're, we're studying that in Joshua. There is still aspects of obedience and disobedience. Leadership matters. Remember, or, or, you know, even in our studies through the pastoral epistles, how leadership matters. But at the same time, you see Israel under the leadership of Joshua and the elders, and it hurts. It hurts to know and understand that when Joshua dies and when the elders die, it goes really, it goes south for Israel. You see, they, they have leadership. But is the leadership aligned with the Lord? And you're going to see how Israel becomes apostate. Israel becomes a harlot. It hurts. It pains to, 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 to know that and to see it and to study it and see what happens. Israel plays the harlot. You say, well, that's Israel. You know, they're playing the harlot. Well, what about the church? What about the church? Christians can play the harlot. And don't forget, prophetically speaking, there is a mother of harlots that will emerge on the scene. Mother of harlots. You know what that means? Mother, that means she has daughters. And the Bible defines what the daughters are like. Harlots. Mother of whores. You see? And so wait a second. So the gospel preached to us. It was also preached to them, you know, Old Testament, you know, also preached to Israel in the wilderness. But the word which they heard in verse two, it didn't profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith in those who heard it. Now, there was faith, but it wasn't in the majority. 
Because there was faith with Abraham. There was faith with Moses. There was faith with Rahab. But was faith in the entirety of the camp? The answer is no. Now, this is key. In verse 3, For we who have believed do enter that rest. You see, the mixture of faith is the effectuation of promise. Remember, we posed the question earlier, you know, does the promise of God's rest, does it apply to you and me? Well, as is written here in verse 3, we who have believed do enter that rest. And don't forget, faith is a package deal, as Brother James explains. And just like we see, you know, the, the examples given, you know, a guy says, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I also like my sex, my drugs, my alcohol, and I'll, 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 I'll pray to Mary from time to time. It's like, wait a second. That's disobedience. You see? That's disobedience. It's very important to make these distinctions and to have this understanding because it will help us. It will help us grow together. It will help us mature together. And it will help us move on to perfection together. In the camp, you're going to see babies, you're going to see adolescents, you're going to see toddlers. And when you see the babies, they're not going to stay babies forever because there's growth and maturity happening. And we who have believed in verse 3, we who have believed do enter that rest as he has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Now, the writer here of Hebrews quotes the psalmist. I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now notice in verse 3, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, this isn't like a predestination as taught by Calvinism and Reformed theory. This isn't predestination in that context. This refers to a biblical pre predestination is entirely biblical. But according to certain theories, Calvinism and Reformed, it's wrong. But biblically speaking, there is predestination. Now, understand that, that this pertains to biblical predestination and the works. Here are the works of God. Now, since the works of God are finished from the foundation of the world, obedience is required in order to navigate through life according to the covenant. New covenant. Remember, we make the distinctions between the covenants. Obedience is required in order to navigate and, you know, understanding the covenants. I mean, for example, you hear us say obedience is required. You know, I don't, I don't want to sound rigid in saying that. Obedience is required. Well, remember, Brother James says faith without works is dead because a person says, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm going to worship Mary. Well, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're not going to worship Mary. Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm going to do the Ouija boards. Well, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're not going to do the Ouija boards. You see? Faith and obedience. It's a package deal. It's not just faith alone. It's not, you know, Brother James, when he speaks, he says, like, listen, some people say I have the gift of uh, faith and I have the gift of works. And Brother James says, hey, those are inseparable. 
those are inseparable. And I don't want to sound, you know, like, like you know, to apply these things with being rigid. But I also don't want to neglect the fact that obedience, it's a package deal with belief. You see? I mean, when the writer of Hebrews says here in verse 3 that, that the works were finished from the foundation of the world, to give you an example, say, say there's a place that you and me, we've never been to before. And it exists somewhere in the world. Few have been there, but it's an established place and very specific instructions are required to get there. Now, this established place, it's finished, it's built, it's constructed. But we have to follow proper directions and proper instructions. And that's what we see here in Hebrews 4 and in verse 3. That's what we see here. God's works are done. What about our works? You see, what about our works? Now, remember, we're not saved by works. As we studied in the past several weeks in our studies in Hebrews, building up to this point, we're not saved by works, lest any man should boast. We're not saved by works. But remember, we're saved for works. And this is something that Brother James correctly likens to obedience to the Word of God and the will of God. You see, it's, it's powerful. It's beautiful. And this isn't anything that should be shunned. A lot of times when you speak to Christians or in Christian circles, like, oh, we're not saved by works. We're not saved by works. I'm not, we're not even going there. We're not even talking about saved by works. We're talking about what the Bible says of being saved for works. Understand that faith is a package deal with obedience. You see? And this is very important to understand, you know, even more so in these last days. And so it begs the question, it's like, wait a second. So there's God's rest, but then entry into God's rest. Does that apply to you and me? Well, when you believe, just like verse 3 says, we who have believed do enter that rest. Okay, so does that mean we're, you know, it's done? Does that mean, okay, we're, 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 we're in the rest of God? Okay, we're done. No. We have to understand this. These are building blocks to deeper things. The, the writer of Hebrews people say, you know, maybe Apollos, I mean, personally, I think Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews has a very, very deep understanding of the Old Covenant and Torah. And so we continue here. This is kind of like, um, I mean, just like in a lot, if not all of our studies, it's kind of like building blocks, you know, we get, you know, step one, step two, step three, and we grow and mature together. But understand that these works, as the writer says here in verse three, which everything aligns with Brother James, with, with Moses, with, 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 with what Paul says, with what Luke says, with everything aligns perfectly. 
because these servants serve the same master, same spirit, same Lord. But the works were finished in verse 3 from the foundation of the world. But these are the works of God. Now, what about us? What about us? The works of God are finished. What about your works? What about my works? I'll put it another way. What about your obedience? What about my obedience? Just like the example we gave earlier where, you know, you know, we're going to go 50 miles and we're doing land navigation. We have 10 checkpoints. The checkpoints, they're already laid out. They're already there. We're going to go 50 miles and we're on foot. Reaching each checkpoint at a very specific time. Well, it requires obedience. It requires knowledge. It requires understanding. Don't forget, knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. Knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. And we're not talking book knowledge. We're not talking like, you know, like uh, academic knowledge. It's of the Spirit. It's spiritually discerned. The Word of God is spiritually discerned. Lest any man should boast. And so we see here in verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. The writer here gives an account of Genesis. But then in verse 5, he says, And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Again, he quotes from the psalmist. And so we see in verse 6. Since therefore it remains that some, some, and I love this because it translates as any person or whosoever. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first, first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Remember the first generation, they did not enter the promised land. You see, they did not enter the promised land because of disobedience. You say, well, wait a second, the second generation passed into the promised land. Yes, but after Joshua and the elders, it doesn't turn out so well. You see, everything hinges on obedience. We see in verse 7 again, he designates a certain day. God decrees, how it translates, God decrees a certain day is saying, in David, we're not talking about the psalmist now. We're talking about David. You say, wait a second, there's there's a major gap of time between Moses and David. That, that's a pretty big span of time. There, there's a span of time between Moses and David and Paul and us today. But I love that. You know why? Because the Lord who never changes, speaks, you see? And you have his vessels, his servants, who are rightly tuned with the Lord. Moses says, thus saith the Lord. David, you know, thus saith the Lord. You have uh, 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 Paul, you know, thus saith the Lord. You know, this intimacy with the Lord. Same master, 
And so we see that in David, you know, he designates a certain day, you know, God designates a certain day saying in David, today, after such a long time. Now in verse 7, this spans centuries where the Lord speaks. They have this alignment of vessels, alignment of servants where, you know, like you read the Bible, you read what, what, what John says, it aligns with what Paul says, which aligns with what Isaiah says, which aligns with what the psalmists say, which aligns with what Moses says, which aligns to what Joshua says. Why? Same Lord. You see, same Lord. Intimacy. Alignment of servants in the same household, same master. Moses, David, and the writer of Hebrews here. And so you see what's happening here is this explanation about God's rest. And we see here in verse 7, he designates a certain day, saying in David today, after such a long time, as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Notice in verse 8, for if Joshua had given rest, understand that, you know, the rest of the flesh and rest of the spirit are not the same. Not the same. Rest of the flesh. Rest of the spirit are not the same. We can fly to, to, to Bora Bora, for example. We can fly to Bora Bora, Bora Bora, and we'll have rests. We'll share in some laughs. We'll exhale and relax. But that's rest of the flesh. We're going to fly back to the same problems, the same drama. Rest in the Lord? It doesn't need Bora Bora. You could be anywhere. Rest in the Lord. You could be anywhere and have rest in the Lord. But remember verse 3. With belief in Jesus comes entry into God's rest. Because there's moments in the Old Testament where there is rest. But it's deeper. It's much deeper. In the Old Testament, there is is rest. But just like we see here in this example, you know, we can go to Bora Bora and, you know, have rest and relaxation. But it's of the flesh. There is a rest that is much, much, much deeper. And these are things that are going to be deeply explained as we get deeper in our study in Hebrews. I mean, I I don't want to cut you short here and just say, well, you know, that it's much deeper, but... You'll understand. In the course of time, you're going to understand because we're going to get to chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and you're going to see, oh my goodness, how beautiful is it what the Lord has done. And when you understand the covenants, when you understand the law, which is still holy, but there is a greater glory in the fulfillment of the law and fulfillment of promise, promise unto Abraham. And then you see, wow, Lord, Lord, you are good. And this rest, if if Joshua had given them rest, then in verse 8, if Joshua had given rest, then he, speaking of God, would not afterward have spoken of another day. Because remember in verse 7 that God speaks in David saying today after such a long time. There is... After such a long time, you know, as it had been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
You see, when the Lord speaks, David has intimacy with the Lord, which, you know, there was a break off there because of his disobedience, but through repentance. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. The Lord is reactionary. He responds to obedience. He responds to disobedience. And he also responds to repentance. David was in tune with the Lord, and then all of a sudden, David was out of tune with the Lord. And with repentance, he was now in tune with the Lord once again. But David, he had to reap what he had sown. You see, it's very important to understand. A lot of times people, they don't want to reap what has been sown. They don't want to reap. They just figure, well, you know, okay, everything's fine and dandy. Let's go back to normal. No, in some cases, normal is over. You see, because a person has to reap what he has sown. A lady has to reap what she has sown. And we understand this, you see, in David. And then we see here in verse 8 that if Joshua had given them rest, then he, God, would not afterward have spoken of another day. Another day. In verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. You see? Now, remember here, this this. Rest, it's much deeper than a carnal rest. I mean, just like we gave the example of Bora Bora, you know, we could have rest in Bora Bora, but we're going to fly back home and we're still going to have the mess and the drama of just everyday life. And, you know, I shouldn't say the mess, but we're just going to have the drama. You know, we're, 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 we're not... There, there, there is going to be drama and problems and tribulation in life. It's, it's part of life. We're, I mean, we're not in paradise. It's kind of a bummer, but I also love it because it makes me yearn for paradise. It makes me yearn for that oneness with the Lord where faith isn't required anymore. Today, faith is required. But there's coming, there is an end of faith because we're not going to need faith to see Jesus because we're going to see him with our eyes in our glorified bodies. And this rest in verse 9, this is a big deal. This is huge because the writer here says there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. And this word for rest, you know what it is? Sabbath. Sabbath. Now, this is a Sabbath that is not found in the law. I mean, you look at Israel under Moses. Israel under Moses. They observed the Sabbath. But yet understand that they did not enter God's rest. You see, they did not enter the rest that we're speaking about because it's much deeper. In the flesh, they didn't enter God's rest. Now, and we say that with for a specific reason. Because Moses wasn't granted entry into the promised land of the flesh, according to the flesh. Moses died before entry into the promised land. You see? Because of his own disobedience unto the Lord in misrepresenting the Lord. You see, where, you know, the Lord says, Moses do this, and Moses did something else. You see, 
But understand too that Moses was at the transfiguration. So how is it that Moses didn't enter God's rest, but yet at the same time, he taught about the Sabbath and he himself observed the Sabbath, which is supposedly God's rest. Well, according to the flesh. How many times do we say that when we're in a study in the Torah, when we're studying Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, observe Israel according to the flesh. Because there is a Sabbath day, rest for your muscles, rest for your mind, you know, just rest. But understand, there's something deeper that the Lord is showing through that. And through that, we see a deeper rest, which is the real Sabbath. Because you look at Israel under Moses, and they absolutely observed the Sabbath, but yet they did not enter rest. How can that be? If the Sabbath is supposed to be rest, how could they not enter rest? Because it's much deeper. Remember, the, 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 the law, think of that passageway. Where in the law, a person learns the fear of the Lord to trust in the Lord and the love of the Lord and love in the Lord and loving the Lord. But it's deeper and deeper and deeper. This is something that the majority doesn't have. The majority doesn't have. I mean, like you, you look at the camp of Israel when they wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. They wanted to stone them. The majority of Israel, I mean, I'd say the majority, but like all of Israel of that second generation, they all wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. You see? But Joshua and Caleb, they learned the fear of the Lord. They learned to trust in the Lord. They learned to love the Lord and deeper and deeper. Hannah had it. Samuel had it. But the vast majority, no. Rahab had it. She's in the halls of faith in Hebrews 11. And I love that because you see in Hebrews 11, by faith, male, by faith, male, by faith, male, by faith, female. It's like, what? Seemingly left field, but it's not left field because in Christ, there's no male nor female. This is where Hebrew roots gets very dangerous. Now, there's a lot of dangers with Hebrew roots. Hebrew roots is unbiblical. Hebrew roots, oh, observe the Sabbath, observe the Sabbath, observe the Sabbath, where the Bible says, observe the Sabbath. The Bible absolutely says, observe the Sabbath. But when you understand covenants, uh, observing the Sabbath according to the law, there's no rest. There's no rest. Because those things were, you know, just as Paul says, those things were written for our admonition. Oh, observe the Sabbath, observe the Sabbath, observe, observe the Sabbath. But there is a Sabbath, a Sabbath according to the flesh, and there is a Sabbath according to the Spirit. There is such a thing as religion that is carnal. Now, abiding in Christ that's the true Sabbath, abiding in Christ. It's the true Sabbath. It's the true rest. You see, 
Israel under Moses, they observed the Sabbath, but they didn't have the right mixture, the mixture of faith. Remember verse 2? They didn't have the mixture of faith. By and large, they didn't have the mixture of faith. I mean, there was a mixture of faith with very, very certain people. Very, very specific. I mean, Rahab had it. Moses had it. You say, well, if Moses had it, as Hebrews 10 says, well, why didn't he enter the promised land? Well, because of his disobedience. You see? And just understanding and knowing that fact and that reality, it points to a greater promise, a greater rest, a greater Sabbath. And I speak of paradise. The promised land according to the Spirit. Not the promised land according to the flesh. The promised land according to the Spirit. You see, the mixture of faith. The Hebrew Roots movement is very dangerous. Very, very dangerous because it's an exit door. It leads people away from Christ. Now we have our archive study about Hebrew Roots. Listen to those studies. It's very important because it's on the rise in these last days. A lot of Christians today, they see the problem in the church. And so they say, well, you know what? I want more church government. I want more because, you know, this church is, I mean, look at Hillsong. Hillsong is a mess. You look at Hillsong, that's just a straight up mess. You know, it's, it's, you see the mess today, but biblically the mess was, you know, years and years and years ago. But like right now, we're seeing the fruit of those things, the fruit of those errors. But, you know, people say, you know, you say today, like Hillsong is a mess. And yeah, it's a mess, but the mess was long ago. Now, not a lot of people saw the mess long ago. But the ones who did see the mess long ago, they understand the formula. They understood formula. They say, well, you know, there's, there's no alignment here. There's no alignment there. There's no alignment here. The Bible says one, two, three, and there needs to be one, two, three. But here we see X, Y, Z. There's that disconnect. You see? And so a lot of times people, they see the mess that's happening in the church, which is prophesied. The falling away is prophesied. The, the crazy town in the church, that's prophesied to happen. And Christians are seeing that and realizing. And they say, you know what? I need to go to a place where there is heavy church government because heavy church government is going to prevent this crazy town from happening. But unbeknownst to the Christian, they say, I need heavy church government. And there are two main sources where there's heavy church government. And it is found in Reformed theology, Calvinism. I mean, Calvinism is, is Reformed theology. It's found in Calvinism and it's found in Hebrew roots. And they figure, wow, I'm going to run to safety. I'm going to go to Hebrew roots because you know what? This crazy town isn't going to happen. Or you know what? This crazy town, it's forcing me. I'm going to go to this reformed church. It's Calvinistic. And so I need heavy church government because I don't want crazy town. But they're not running to safety. They're running into something that's much worse. Much, much worse. You know why? Because there's the semblance of righteousness but it's wicked see hebrew roots that's the exit door it's also crazy town calvinism reformed theology also crazy town now we have all these resources listen to our studies these resources 
are intended to help you so that we together can mature and journey together. It's very important to have these understandings because, you know, you, you, you talk to a Hebrew roots person, oh, observe the Sabbath, observe the Sabbath. Well, Hebrew roots, that brand of Sabbath is according to the flesh. It's carnal. I mean, the Bible testifies of these very things. Under Moses, they did not enter this deeper rest. I mean, there was rest for the muscles and the bones and, you know, a, 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 a long work week. And there's rest for the bones. There's rest for the aching muscles. And there's rest. Yes, absolutely rest. But it's carnal. It's of the flesh. The deeper rest, the deeper Sabbath. You see? Remember verse 3, we who have believed do enter that rest. And here we are in verse 9, there, remain, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. In verse 10, for he who has entered his rest, this is the believer, has himself also ceased from his works. And you know how this translates in the Greek? This is works unto self. He who has entered his rest, he who has entered, God, entered God's rest, has himself also ceased from his works, or translates as works unto self, as God did from his. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying that God's works are unto himself? And listen, that's precisely what I'm saying. That's precisely what the Bible says. Because remember, Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the one who says, I and my Father are one. His works are unto himself. What are those works doing? Bringing you and me to our Father. Bringing you and me to our Father. Hallowed be his name. You see? Now, what about works, our works? Unto self? We make these distinctions. Works unto self. When the old man is dead, when the old woman is dead. You know, we make these distinctions. When the old man is dead, when the old woman is dead, what are works unto self? They've ceased. You see, just as written here in verse 10. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works. You see? My works unto self, your works unto self. No, those are done. Those are done. Because there's the old nature. Remember, we're saved for, we're not saved by works. We're saved for works. You see, do you remember in our studies through the pastoral, not just the pastoral epistles, but in, in, in the epistles, the letters to the churches, how we make the distinction between field and worker? Very important to make these distinctions. And, you know, when you're in the pews, if you're a pew Christian, that's not to be shunned. It's beautiful to be a pew Christian. 
But the movement from pew or field to worker, which comes through maturity, through understanding, through knowledge, which is a gift of the Spirit. And when the Lord calls a person into ministry, now, such a person isn't working unto himself. I mean, remember Jesus? You know, Jesus says, follow me and I will show you how to be fishers of men. They were fishermen. They were doing work, you know, working for their, their remember that the, the dad was in the family business. It was a, the fishing was their, their family business. It's like, oh, look, you know, that's my plan in life. I'm going to be, I'm, I was a, I'm born, my dad was a fisherman. I'm born and now I'm going to be a fisherman and I'm going to, you know, keep, keep the family business going. And Jesus Christ says, follow me and you will be fishers of men. I will teach you how to be fishers of men. Now, born again, look at Peter. Did Peter continue in the family business? No, he continued in God's business. He ceased from his works. And now his works are unto the Lord. See, we're not saved by works. But we're saved for works. Just as the Bible says. As God did from his. It's like, well, wait a second. Understand... We, we, God's works unto, you know, has ceased from his works as God did from his. You know, these things, just as, as we see that in, in, in verse 3, they were finished from the foundation of the world. They were finished. But understand that knowing that they were finished from the foundation of the world, you see, a lot of times what happens is that People like to explain this in terms of a predestination that is according to Calvinism and Reformed theology, which is unbiblical, where they also get into God predestines people to heaven and God predestines people to hell, which is a lie from the pit of hell. But in order to get from point A to point B in a predestined manner, it's just like GPS. Listen to our study, uh, predestination biblically explained. It's just like GPS, a predetermined location. If you and me were to be like in a in a city, and I want a hamburger, and I look at you and I say, "Hey, I want a hamburger." What do you think? And you say, "You know what? I'm I want a burger too." And we have no idea where. We're, I mean, we know the city, but we don't know where the best burger joint. So you just tap on your phone. You know, Bing Bing, boom boom. You tap on your phone, boom, this is the number one burger joint in town. Where is it? I don't know. Okay, hit directions. And you listen to the voice. And the voice says, okay, go here, turn left, turn right, turn here, turn left. We've predetermined our destination. Now, in order to get to our destination, when the voice says turn left, we got to turn left. When the voice says turn right, we got to turn right. You see, obedience. Obedience. And yes, these things were finished from the foundation of the world, but obedience is required. Just like that land navigation example. Ten checkpoints. Obedience is required. Very specific instructions. A lot of times you have teachers who don't like to get into the nitty-gritty of these deep spiritual things and they like to explain it away like, oh, the book of Hebrews, that's for the Jews. That's for Jewish believers. But they willfully forget and woefully forget 
that in Christ there is no such thing. In Christ there is no Jew nor Gentile. You see? Then you get into, you know, people like to explain, oh, the Sabbath, observe the Sabbath, observe the Sabbath, observe the Sabbath, and all of a sudden it becomes what real legalism is, and I'm speaking of, of, of Hebrew roots, and that's real legalism, you see? But it's also carnal. Remember, Hebrew roots, it's the exit. Because to abide in the law is to exit Jesus Christ. You and me, we abide in the fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus Christ. You see? And sometimes I've had these conversations with the Hebrew Roots Movement people. And they say, well, you know, God says, observe the Sabbath. God says, you know, do the feasts and the festivals. And God says, yeah, he does. But I meant, not to speak, you know, loosely about this, but I meant, does the liver of Jesus, does, does the liver of, of Jesus observe the Sabbath? Does the spleen of Jesus partake of the feasts? You see, do the lungs of Jesus partake of the, you know, the festivals? You see? Does the, uh, does the stomach of Jesus, does the stomach of Jesus, you know, make sacrifice? No, they are inside of him. You see? Abiding in Christ. Remember, in 1 Timothy, the law is not meant for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. You see? Because the law is a tutor to bring to Christ. And a lot of times you have teachers who gloss over Hebrews and just dismiss it as, oh, this is for the Jewish believers. But don't forget, it's the root that supports the branch. You see? And so we see here in verse 10. Now what? Now what? I mean, verse 10, we just finished verse 10, but, you know, also sees from his words as God did. Okay, so now what? So you see verse 11 let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. He says, wait a second. So verse three, verse three says, with belief, we do enter that rest. But then verse 11, the writer here is saying, be diligent to enter that rest. Remember, this is written to believers. The biblical formula is not once saved, always saved. The biblical formula and recipe is once saved, stay saved. And that's why the writer here is saying, be diligent. Be diligent. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Remember Paul? Paul says these things of the Old Testament were written for our admonition. You see? Now, this need not be a point of worry at all. At all. I mean, even though it is, it needn't be. Jesus promised. Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our everything, our King, and only potentate. He promised to send the Holy Spirit, the Helper. And He has sent the Holy Spirit. But there's a problem. Where is the Spirit found? 
Remember, there are effectuators of promise. It is entirely possible, and this is commonplace today, belief in Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. Just read Acts chapter 8. You have believers. They believe in Jesus. They're baptized in Jesus, but they don't have the Spirit. Remember, there are effectuators of promise. And today you have people who believe in Jesus without the Spirit. People have quenched the Spirit or extinguished the Spirit. Or people and or people have reserved the Spirit for 2,000 years ago. They say, oh, that's for 2,000 years. The, the power and the moving and the gifts of the Spirit, that's not for today. That was for 2,000 years ago. You see what's happening? Lamps. Lamps today. They are already burning out. On top of this, it is prophesied, the restrainer will be lifting. And we're living in a time where I can't say, you know, we can't, that there is no definitive proof that this has not happened yet. I mean, I wonder, I mean, in my prayers, that's one of my questions to the Lord. Lord, Is your spirit already lifting away? Is it already happening? Because you look at what's happening today. Look at the rise of murders. Look at the crime. I mean, there was always crime, but like now it's like off the charts. Lawlessness abounds just as prophecy states. Lawlessness will abound. You see, a guy gets mad at another guy wants to punch him. What does he do? He punches him. A guy wants to knock out a lady. He knocks out the lady. A guy wants to have sex with a lady. He rapes her. It's lawlessness abounds. Remember the ministry of the Holy Spirit goes into the world to, uh, to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And people were created, created, eternity written on the hearts where someone can have a thought in their head like, oh, no, I'm not going to kill that guy. No, I'm not going to do the rape. No, I'm not going to punch that guy. No, I'm not going to do this. But now, is, has the ministry of the Holy Spirit begun to lift from the world? And if so, where can the Spirit be found? I'll give you the answer. The Spirit is found with those who have oil in their lamps. You see? And you, you figure, well, okay, that's a good thing, you know, for, 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 for oil to be in the lamps. Yes, it's a beautiful thing, very important thing. But understand, prophetically speaking, Lamps will burn out. You see? But the remnant is different. The remnant is different. The remnant stores her oil. And so, in verse 11, 
Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, to enter the Sabbath, not according to the law, according to the fulfillment of the law. You see? Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. In verse 12, For the word of God is living and powerful. You see? Energes in the Greek, active, operative, effectual, and powerful. Remember, there are rules for effectuation. I mean, look at the Bereans and the Pharisees, where the Bereans search the scriptures and the Pharisees search the scriptures. You figure, okay, they're in the same camp. It's good. No, they're not in the same camp. It's good for the Bereans. For the Pharisees, it's not good. Because the Bereans search the scriptures, but they have noble hearts. The Pharisees, Jesus says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think there is eternal life. Now, absolutely, 100%, there is eternal life in the word of God. But the Pharisees, when they search the scriptures, they don't have a noble heart. Remember Jesus, before his accusers and mockers, he was silent. He said not a word. He was silent. But Jesus in the upper room, he was pouring out sweet truths left and right. There are rules for effectuation. And the word of God in verse 12 is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Not a one-sided blade. The sharpest of the sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. I mean, have you ever used a chef's knife? I'm not talking like a $10 job. I'm talking like, you know, a $1,000 chef's knife. I mean, you know, I thought, okay, you know, $10 job, you know, go 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 to the 99 cent store, get a, a chef's knife, you know, 99 cents, okay, I can cut my tomatoes. But with a chef's knife, like the real deal chef's knife, that the tomatoes slice themselves. The Bible is sharper. Word of God is sharper, piercing. In verse 12, it says piercing, penetrating, even to the division of soul and spirit. Notice the separation of soul and spirit. Now, there's the carnal mind and there's the spirit mind. You're able to discern, discern because of the word of God. You see? You're able to discern because of the word of God. I mean, before I was a Christian, I didn't have this discernment. I didn't, before you became a Christian, you didn't have this discernment. But now that you are a Christian, now that we are Christians, now we do have discernment. Now, there are levels of discernment. I mean, a, a baby discerns differently than, you know, the, uh, 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 the, 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 the adult You see, now there's growth and maturity in Christ. I mean, when I was a baby Christian, there was a level of discernment. But as you grow and mature, it changes, it adjusts. You see, deeper, 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 deeper. And that's the separation of soul and spirit where, you know, before I knew Christ, I didn't know any of this. Before you knew Christ, you didn't know any of this. Now look, here, here we are studying the word of God together. 
after the word of God has penetrated our heart and mind. You see, remember, formula must be understood. And it's not like to have an elitist mentality, but it is said for protection. Because there are many explanations which do not and cannot apply because they are spiritually discerned. Remember, the word of God, the word of God, it's not handled like literature or taught like a college course. Spiritually discerned. I mean, in Acts 8, how many times have we referenced Acts 8? And, and, and Philip, you know, not to knock his ministry, he's a beautiful ministry. People were coming to Christ. He was an evangelist. He had prophetess daughters, beautiful prophetess daughters. And praise be to the Lord. But not to, not to, not to, not to say there's anything bad with the ministry of, of Philemon. He was called of the Lord. But also understand that people came to Christ. People believed in Jesus and received the baptism of Jesus. And you figure, well, wow, that's a good thing. And yes, it's a good thing. But there were people when they became Christians and they believed in Jesus and the baptism, they received the baptism of Jesus. It was John and Peter. When they came to town, they discerned that they did not have the Spirit. John and Peter had the Spirit. But they were able to discern that these new believers, fresh Christians, baby Christians, they believe in Jesus, but they do not have the Holy Spirit. You see? And then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit, except for one, Simon. Because of wickedness. You see? The word of God is not handled like literature. I mean, have you ever listened to a sermon that was more of a college course? That's not a good thing. Sometimes people like that because, oh, yeah, look, I'm learning. I take my notes. I'm learning all these things. But the word of God isn't taught like a college course. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a red flag. If you're in church and church feels like a college course, that's a red flag. Because it shouldn't be. It's not handled like literature. It's not like we're studying, you know, like a, you know, a like a college topic. It's living. Verse 12, the word of God is living. And powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. That's how sharp the Bible is. Remember the chef's knife, you know, the, the tomatoes cut themselves. Everything cuts themselves. You, you lay the knife down, you lay like anything down and boom, it cuts itself. That's how, that's how sharp the chef's knife is. And the word of God is more sharp. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Understand that with the Bible, it has to be handled with such care because with the Bible, a precious child can be carefully fed. But also with the Bible, a wolf can be violently killed, metaphysically, but the wolf killed. 
because the word is sharp, penetrating, living, and powerful. Wielding the word of God, that takes time. We see this in the apostles who were disciples first. They were disciples first. Paul didn't immediately confer with flesh. No, he grew, matured, became deadly. Remember when, when, when the account of Paul in the book of Acts, even by Paul's own account in the book of Galatians? When Paul would go and teach in the synagogue, when he was a new believer, it was like, okay, yeah, this, here's Paul. He's saying what he's got to say. Here's Paul. He's in the synagogue and he's saying this, he's saying that. Okay, that's nice. But then when Paul, as he became mature and deadly, he would prove that Jesus is the Messiah. He would prove it using the scriptures, using Torah, using the prophets, using the poetic verses. And Paul would prove using the scrolls that Jesus was the Messiah. Now they were like, okay, look, and before we would say, okay, there's Paul. That's nice. You know, he's got to say what he's got to say. Okay, that's nice. But then it got to the point where they say, you know what, Paul? Now we got to kill him. Because Paul became deadly. He learned to wield the word of God. To yield and wield. The same happened with Timothy and Titus. And, you know, this is explained in our studies through the pastoral epistles. Remember the tiny bubble? Tiny bubble? There's the big bubble, there's the medium bubble, and then there's the tiny bubble. Remember? I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know all about it. But if you're a new listener, purpose, purpose in your heart and in your mind to listen to those prior studies, it's important because we're living in the last days. And speaking of the word of God, which is living and powerful, look, look, look in verse 12, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You see, the word of God is living. And the word became flesh. The word discerns. Remember, there's a big difference between Berean and Pharisee who both search the scriptures. The Bereans search the scriptures and the Pharisees search the scriptures. For the Bereans, eternal life. For the Pharisee, no eternal life. You see? Because the word of God discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He knows. The Pharisees search the scriptures because, you know, look at their life, the religious establishment. You see? Look at the religious establishment. Look at the religious leaders in the days of Samuel. In the days of baby Samuel. And in the days of Mama Hannah. You figure, well, the law says that the Lord would speak to the high priest. But God wasn't speaking to the high priest. You see? He was silent. Because he knew the heart of Eli. The disconnect. Jesus before his accusers. Silent. God to Samuel. He spoke. Samuel was on the right frequency. Samuel had alignment with the Lord. You see? Look at Jesus in the upper room. Alignment with the Lord. 
Jesus before his, his accusers, silent. You see? And the word of God is living and powerful. But the Lord knows the heart. And so we see here in verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked. Now, there, there, there is no explanation for this. This is just straight up naked. You know, sometimes you say, okay, this is naked, but how it translates, it means this, 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 this. It's like, okay, I get it. But this is straight up naked, and I like it. Because it's, there's nothing hidden before the Lord. Nothing hidden before the Lord. He sees everything. He sees it all. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, open, naked and open, it's naked, but open is to lay bare and exposed. I'll give you an Old Testament example. It happens prior to sacrifice. Prior to sacrifice. Bare and exposed. Where like, you know, someone would make an offering to the Lord or sacrifice unto the Lord. They would come to the priest and hear priest, look, here's my turtle dove. Look, priest, here's my lamb. Look, priest, here's my ox. And all those animals, they didn't have a covering. They were laid bare and exposed and the priest, they would examine them. You you see like a a gimpy, a, 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 a gimpy ox. You can't offer that to the Lord. Nothing mangy. Nothing mangy. How many times did we say that in our study in Leviticus? Nothing mangy, nothing mangy, nothing mangy, nothing mangy, nothing mangy, nothing mangy. What about you and me today? Nothing mangy, nothing mangy, nothing mangy. You see? The priest would look, okay, nothing mangy. I see this turtle dove, okay, it's not mangy. I see this lamb, okay, it's not mangy. I see this ox, okay, it's not mangy. You see? Sacrifice isn't a matter, just a matter of death. It's unto the Lord. A life unto God. Remember, we're not saved by works. We're saved for works. And a life unto God, which is a choice. Remember Paul? Paul says, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. A a life of sacrifice unto the Lord. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Every single person will give an account to God. No creature is hidden from his sight. You say, wait a second, that sounds scary. Well, there are aspects of, yeah, it's scary, but, you know, maybe it is scary. Maybe it is scary. Outside of Christ? Yes, 100%. That's absolutely scary. Outside of Christ, it's absolutely scary. Under a false teacher? Yes, it's absolutely scary. You go to church and, you know, they go grave soaking? That's scary. 
Like every single person will give an account to God. No creature is hidden from his sight. Yeah, scary. But abiding in Christ? Now we have a different ballgame where, yes, it's still scary, but remember, there's abiding in Christ now. In verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest. Now, according to the law, the high priest would hear from God and speak to the people. Remember Jesus? Jesus says, I don't come with my own will, but that of the Father. You see, he was speaking as high priest, but the priesthood, they didn't understand. The priesthood wanted to kill him. The Pharisees, Pharisees, the scribes, they wanted to kill him. And yet he was speaking as high priest. The writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, we who believe... In verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. But wait a second. In verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And seeing then that we have this great high priest, in verse 14, let us Hold fast our confession. Let me put this another way. Let us hold on to our covenant. Let us hold on to our covenant. You see? And I love how this is written in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. You see, do not and cannot. That's a double negative. You know what that means? That means Jesus absolutely sympathizes with our weaknesses. You see, he's the one who says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He sympathizes. Remember Paul? In my weakness, I am strong. In my weakness, he is made stronger. And that's his strength. Weakness isn't something to be shunned. It's not anything to feel terrible about. Weakness is, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Lord, I'm too weak. Lord, I'm too weak. I wonder if that's precisely what the Lord wants us to get to that point Where you and me together, we realize that in our strength, we cannot. But in our weakness, he is made stronger. Paul came to that point. Peter came to that point. You see, weakness is lovely. Weakness is beautiful. Because our high priest, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. And in that, there is strength. And we're talking, we're talking strength. You see, notice here in verse 15, but was in all points tempted as we are. Yet without sin. You see, temptation isn't a sin. 
Responding to temptation in the flesh, that's a sin. You see? And all have sinned. All have sinned. Except for one. Jesus. Man, you know, we, we look at the law, we study the law, and we're in uh, Joshua, and we see, yes, there was stoning in the book of Joshua. There was stoning in the law, and the law is still in effect. Biblically, biblically, there is only one who can cast any stone. And that's Jesus. Because he's without sin. And he doesn't cast a stone. Yet. Because judgment is coming. He doesn't cast stones. Yet. Judgment is coming. If you're listening and you know you're not a believer, or maybe you're a believer but you're playing games with the Lord, cut it out. Don't be unbelieving any longer. Because remember, disobedience is unbelief, and belief is obedience. And I don't say that with rigidity. But it is a fact. It's a package deal. Brother James says it's a package deal. Faith without works is dead. Faith without obedience, it's dead. How can faith be dead? Faith is dead through disobedience. You see? But you said we all have sinned. Yes, we all have sinned. But we can sin less and less and less. You're never going to be sinless. I'm never going to be sinless. We can sin less and less and less and less and less and less and less. You see? And then we die. But death has no sting. Why? There's no second death. And then comes the glorified body. There is a generation that will not see death. That's the rapture of the church. Which is a pending matter. You see? He's not without sin. Jesus Christ, our high priest. And he sympathizes with our weaknesses. That's why you and me, abiding in Christ, rejoice in weakness. You and me, we can rejoice in weakness. It's not a bad thing. It's beautiful. Because that's how Christ is made strong. And so we see here in verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. You see, obtaining mercy isn't a one-time deal. It's not a one-time deal. And just like, you know, we said earlier, you're, you're never going to be sinless. I'm never going to be sinless. We can sin less and less. And the sins I commit today are far different from the sins I committed 25 years ago. Far, far different. And when I'm dead, I'm not going to sin anymore. You see? And don't forget the sin. You know, there, you know to, to him who knows what he ought to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. You see, the Lord, the Lord knows you know, this guy's a baby. This lady's a baby. You know, they're new believers in Christ. So, you know, there's like a low bar, man. You don't, 
according to the flesh, you don't, you don't expect a two-year-old to do calculus. You see, that would be foolishness. If you expect a two, if you, if, if you expect a two-year-old to do calculus, you know, that's not good because you're in the wrong. It's, it's not going to happen. But in the course of time, that two-year-old can do calculus. You see, because he or she has to grow and mature in Christ. And the Lord knows. The Lord knows how to work with those who are His. He knows how to care for a baby. He knows how to care for adolescents. He knows how to care for the deadly, the deadly warriors. He knows how to care for everybody in His camp. Those who are aligned to Him. You see? The problem comes with habitual sin. Remember in Thessalonians, our, our study through Thessalonians? Habitual sin? That's not good. That's not good. Pastors? Pastors need to speak. Pastors need to teach. Pastors need to lead by example. Pastor who themselves have habitual sin? No, disqualified. You see? Disqualified. Straight up. Remember, only the clean can clean. Only the clean can clean. Remember. Mercy, it's not, it's not a one-time deal. You see? Remember, we move on to perfection. We move on to perfection. And the author and the finisher of our faith completer of our faith. There is coming a time where we won't need faith. We won't need faith. Because in our glorified bodies, we're going to see him face to face. I mean, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Remember Jesus says to the thief on the cross, the one who believed in him, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, paradise And so the writer here in verse 16, now that we know these deep truths, and we're going deeper too. I mean, we get in chapter 5, 6, 7, we're going to go deeper, deeper, deeper. And people like to excuse the book of Hebrews and say, oh, that's just for the Jews. It's not for Gentiles. Wrong. Straight up, wrong. Because in Christ, there's no Jew nor Gentile, no male nor female. Let us boldly come to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I so love the word of God. In your time of need. In your time of need. You need help. You know how this translates in the Greek? Get grace, get favor, and joy. It's not, you know, find grace. It translates as get grace, favor, and joy. It's, it's there. Grace, favor, and joy, it's there. But there are effectuators of joy and God's favor. You say, okay, mercy. Well, there is an effectuator of mercy. You say, okay, coming boldly to the throne. Well, there is an effectuator of coming to the throne. I mean, who in the world, who in the world doesn't want God's favor? 
We all do. Believer, non-believer. Everybody wants God's favor. God's favor and God's joy. Everybody says, yes, I want it. Believer, non-believer, yes, I want it. But there is an effectuator. You know what that is? Belief in Jesus. Belief in Jesus. Yes, it is true that in this world we will have tribulation. Yes. But this ain't paradise. Remember that. This ain't paradise. It testifies of this world. And yet in this world, we can have these gifts of grace and favor and joy. You see, oneness, intimacy with the Lord. Obtaining mercy, boldly coming to the throne of grace. And the prime effectuator of all of this is belief in Jesus Christ. Remember, belief is a package deal. Belief is a package deal. And all I do is I echo the words of Brother James as the Spirit led him. It's a package deal. See, it's so beautiful because when we come to the end of the book of Hebrews, you're going to be blown away. What God has done. Yes, it, there was the, 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 the completion, you know, the works of God were finished from the foundation of the world. And oh my goodness, what our God has done. Remember, until the seed, the first covenant, until the seed, and then you have the seed and, you know, the effectuation of seed and you look at the lineage and Rahab included in that lineage and then you see Mary and then the, by, by the spirit, you know, born of a virgin and then boom, and then Jesse, all these, it's so beautiful. And then you have the seed which died and rose again. And we're going to see in Hebrews, it's like, you know, until a seed dies. Remember the stump in our studies to the Old Testament, the stump? And you have the root of Jesse. <laughs> what the Lord has done. What the Lord has done, you see? Taste and see that the Lord is good. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.